Tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to spend the first hour on, on my favorite topic, <clears throat> which is genre. Um, it's not really genre. <laughs> it's, it's story type, is what it is. Uh, I call it genre. Um, but, um, this is a two-page handout, and um, just take two pages and, and, and pass it on. Um, Once you have your logline and have your idea, and you can say, uh, what is it? The next question you want to ask yourself is, what is it most like? Um, why are you telling this story? And what story type is this? Um, this is where you're going to get to um, theme. This is where you get to what is the moral of your story. Um, and each one of these story types, each one of these genres have their own particular, peculiar rules. I'm writing this book called uh, Save the Cat Goes to the Movies. I have ten genres, so I have ten chapters in this book. Um, it's going to completely deconstruct, um, you know, story type. Five movies in each chapter, ten chapters, fifty movies. What I'm going to do is... Um, break down by the beat sheet that I mentioned, 50 different films that you all know, and show you how um, there are repeating patterns in these genres, show you how there are amazing similarities between movies in each of these categories. And why is that? Well, it's because we've been telling the same story in different ways for years, thousands of years. Um, we were talking today, I was working with this writer about our uh, Groundhog's Day with a woman at a wedding pitch. And we realized it has many of the same principles as the Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol has many of the same principles as uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, these, are, these are magic movies. You know, movies that use magic. Movies that use magic have certain rules. We're coming up to Act 3 of our story. This is where the bride has relived the wedding again and again and again, trying to get it perfect, and basically discovered that she's lost her groom, she's lost the, the man she was supposed to marry, because she's been so involved in being, you know, involved in this wedding, bridezilla. Um, so, act three is, she's going to have to do it without the magic this time. That's a very common thing. It's right there in Christmas Carol. He has that kind of all is lost moment at the end where he's in the graveyard, he's in you know, memories of Christmas past. There's that low point there. He has to beg to be brought back. Scrooge, Christmas Carol is a comeuppance tale, just like ours is a comeuppance tale. He's been dragged through the brambles this whole time. He's been punished. So he deserves to have a, a one last chance, but he has to do it on his own. So. Why do, these, why do these story templates keep being repeated? It's because we react to them as human beings in the same way. We, we understand a guy who needs a comeuppance tale. We feel sorry for a guy. We, we've been rude or out of sorts or, you know, bad in certain cases. We understand what redemption is. We understand what we have to do to get redemption. So we react as human beings and understand to be redeemed at the end, you have to go through certain tests. 
So we like that story. It makes sense to us. It reinforces um, something that we know about life. I mean, all stories I'll say together are about transformation, and I think in some sense all stories are about you know, some kind of uh, spiritual response to life. You know, um, why do we get up every day and do this? <laughs> is it worth doing? I think that's what stories reinforce. Yes, it is worth doing. It is worth getting up every day and doing this. Even if the, the ending is negative, it makes you embrace life more. The end of open water when, the, when that couple dies out there in the middle of the ocean. Oh, I have to say. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gave it away. Warning spoilers ahead. Uh, um, uh, you know, um, don't you run out of the theater and go, you know, want to want to hug somebody? Don't you want to like re-embrace life? <laughs> That's right. And Rosebud is slashed. So um, anyway, these these movies all sort of have sort of similar. Um, think things in it, similar rules in it. And I'd just like to kind of talk about that a little bit today. The reason I'm going through this at all, why do we care? Well, you're writing a movie. And one of your, your movie matches one of these story types. So as we go through it, I'd like you to think about um, what story type yours matches the most. And by the way, if it doesn't match a story type, I think you're in trouble. <laughs> Seriously. Many people will say, oh, well, they're blend two genres together. We can do a love story that's like this. Well, yeah, can. There, there are lots of examples of movies that, that blend together these genres, but be warned, it's, it's tricky. And uh, I'd rather have you try one that's right down the strike zone in a particular genre, just better. Just the new version. Just the, just the new improved model. Much easier to make sense. Okay? So, Let's start with my favorite, which is called Monster in the House. <laughs> my good friend Jim Hagen, who wrote Nuclear Family with me, was sitting around, we were sitting around one day, and he said, did you know that Alien and, and Jaws in the same movie? And I was flabbergasted. What do you mean? Well, he said, it's a Monster in the House movie. And he said, uh, you know, both of those movies have a monster. They have a house and a closed space, and they have another thing. They have a sin. And those are the three elements that are in all monster and house movies. Monster, house, and sin. Um, the sin of greed is what makes the Nostromo stop and pick up the alien. In, in alien. The sin of greed is what makes the uh, owners of uh, Amity's leave the beaches open, even though they know it's dangerous. Okay. Sin makes the horror more horrible. <laughs> if it's our fault, we, we, are, we feel much more guilty. And uh, that crosses all of these movies. You will ask me, well, what's the sin in Exorcist? That's, that little girl seems sort of like uh, they deserve it. But there's a definite sin in uh, Exorcist. It's really um, the mother's story. And the mother, as we see in the very beginning of that movie and in the book, is torn. She's a professional actress and also a mother and kind of doing a bad job as a mother. The sin of neglect is what her sin is. And that's what makes her so frantic about what happened to her daughter. Did she somehow cause this? 
Likewise, she meets another person who's in that movie, Father Karras, who has a similar problem, he and his mother. Neglect is a big deal. And don't we feel like their evil, maybe, is what's kind of caused this to happen? Yeah, that's why it feels so scary. <laughs> Same sin is in The Ring with Naomi Watts. When we first meet Naomi Watts, she storms into daycare and picks up her son. She's late. She's, you know, she's got shit to do. <laughs> she's a busy reporter. Well, when her son push, puts in that hay at the midpoint, raises the stakes of their journey, and is now going to be doomed, she realizes she has to learn a lesson here. She has to double her efforts on being a mom. And who's she going to learn that from? Some spooky mom who had a kid just like she did, but her kids were not to be real worried. So, there's some really primal things going on in the monster castle that has been going on for years. The dragon slayer myths of the Middle Ages, the, the Minotaur in the maze. This is just a new, improved version of, of Jaws, aren't you? Um, and all of these movies you'll see have the same sort of beats. Uh, Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close is the monster. The sin is infidelity. There she is. And the sin is infidelity. Uh, Michael Douglas uh, goofed. He, is, he uh, you know, let out his, uh, his DNA. <laughs> he uh, um, let the monster in the house. Right. And of course, uh, we, we know about the, uh, the theme stated in that movie. I talked about that once before. You know, Anne Archer the White is going to be the one who kills Glenn Close. The theme of that movie, what it's about, is don't mess in my sandbox. That's what the, uh, the message of that movie is for, for Anarchy. There are some really interesting characters that appear in a lot of these um, different genres. One of them in Monster in the House is called the Half-Man. The Half-Man is a character who's interacted with the monster before and come away damaged because of it. Quint in Jaws is the Half-Man. Ash in uh, Alien is not only Half-Man, he's Half-Robot. Um, and they all die on page 75. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cox in the ring dies on page 75 he is the uh, last hope for Naomi Watts um, she's, he's the father of the strange little girl electrocutes himself on page, right there on page 75 and he's the one person who is sort of the survivor of all this um, Seven is another really good example the half man doesn't seem to be quite apparent who is that necessarily in Seven well it's Brad Pitt there's that great chase scene where, where uh, Kevin Spacey, who's the serial killer, has a gun to Brad Pitt's head. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, he's as good as dead. He's as good as a half man, and indeed he will die in the end. He's arrested. Um, so you see these characters a lot. Why is that? Isn't that interesting? Is it fun to find these patterns? Why is there a half man? Partly. Somebody has to describe the interaction with the monster. Somebody has to tell the tale and go, you're never going to survive. You know? um, and here's another really cool thing that always happens in a Monster in the House movie. And then I'll drop the subject. Midpoint, a lot of authority figures die. Tom Skerritt dies at midpoint in Alien. Henry Winkler dies at midpoint in Scream. Um, what's his name dies at uh, midpoint of Deep Blue Sea. These are all the authority figures who should know how to stop the monster, and now at midpoint they're dead. <laughs> what are we going to do now? 
is a great example of raising of the stakes, and that's what midpoint does, raise the stakes. So, these patterns keep repeating, and it's really fun to notice. Golden Fleece, another long time uh, story type. It comes from the, um, the uh, myth of Jason and the Argonauts. Golden Fleece is the thing that Jason has been sent to retrieve if he wants to become king. So what does he do? Collects a team of guys, <laughs> gets a boat, and off they go. Golden Fleece is a road picture. It's a road story. What happened when you left the cave and went away for a couple of days and now are back? What happened, fellow caveman? <laughs> what did you find out there? Well, let me tell you about it. We've been telling this around the campfire for a long time, the road picture. And inevitably what it's about is not necessarily the Golden Fleece. It's about how we changed along the way. The Golden Fleece at the end is not necessarily what's all cracked up in false gold. What the real prize is, is how we change. Um, and you'll see a lot of examples of that. Uh, you'll see that most sports movies are golden fleece. Isn't it about a guy who collects a team, who goes on a journey to get a prize? Absolutely. Exactly. Bad News Bears is my favorite one. Um, Wolf Matthau is a Jason is a sciatica and a hangover. <laughs> the kids are the Argonauts, and and uh, a foul mouth punch they are. Uh, the journey is the trip up the sports ladder as they defeat one team after the next. There's always that scene in a sports movie. Cut to the the, the board at, at Happy Gilmore where he's slowly working his way up. Um, cut to you know the number of uh, challenges that a team goes. Uh, but what is it? Bad News Bears is a great example because they get to the end and they don't win. It's one of those great examples. But what did they win? They got it. They won each other. They they won friendship with the team, and that really trumps everything. So um, this is what it's about. Uh, another one is heist movies. Heist movies are all golden fleece. Same thing. George Clooney wants to collect the team to go and break into a castle and get a prize. But what is that movie about? Ocean's Eleven is about manhood. Prize is irrelevant. It's gold, but what the, all each one of those guys needs is is some boost of their manhood. Think about it. George Clooney is missing Julia Roberts. Um, Brad Pitt has gone to sea teaching poker to Hollywood types. Carl Reiner's an old guy who's lost his curveball. Does he still have it? Okay. Matt Damon. Well, he's great. Matt Damon in that movie um, wants to prove himself to his father. Okay. And if you look real close, if you stop the tape, if you have Ocean's Eleven, go home and check. If you look at the blueprint of the, um, the, the vault they're going to rob uh, for Andy Garcia, it is a phallic symbol. Go look. Go with it. It is, it is right there. Here's the, here's the vault we're going to rob. You go down, you look at it, there it is. And it's, it's, uh, could it be clearer? That's because that's what that movie is about. It's about retrieving our, our manhood. And if you'll notice, Ocean's 12, they tried to recreate the need to bring their manhood back again. So that's how I know for sure that that's uh, so, but again, uh, same dynamics as any Golden Fleece movie. They might not have gone on the road necessarily, but they went on a journey together with a team led by a guy who's trying to get something other than what you've got. 
Um, so, if you are dancing around any one of these ideas, any kind of road trip, any kind of you know quest, biographies, you know, walk the line is a golden fleece. Um, they certainly set out to, to, to get something at the end of the road and find something else. Yeah, there's a left turn in most of those movies. So, it's a wonderful category, and, and um, um, if your movie is anything like these, make it more so. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, out of the bottle. These, as it says here, are films about magic. Out of the bottle comes from the uh, tale of Aladdin. He brought the magic lamp, and out of the bottle comes a genie. Um, these are wish fulfillment tales, um, and there is one overriding theme. Be careful what you wish for. Um, that's what all these movies are about. Uh, life is pretty good as it is, we find out in most of these movies. I, and, and part of any act three in an out of the bottle movie is doing it without the magic. Check out Bruce Almighty. He's run amok, had all that fun, got what he thought he wanted, lost Jennifer Aniston at the end. If he wants to get his life back, what he has to do is to learn to do it without the magic. He has to learn to do it on his own. Uh, talk a little bit about synthesis in Act 3, and that's a good example of it. Act 1, uh, with all these movies, is poor human, poor guy, needs, needs something to boost him up. Act 2 is the magic. Act 3 is he's crashed. At the end of Act 2 is it's crashed and he needs to like be revived. Act 3 is doing without the magic. Yeah, okay. Yeah, anything anything where there's a magic anything um, is a uh is an bottle, as far as I can tell. Yeah. But you need magic. Yeah, yeah, right. Although I think I think something like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is out of the bottle. You know, there's this process where you can you can erase your memory of your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know that that exists, but that certainly sounds like magic to me. Jack Daniel out of out of the Jack Daniel bottle. Yes, right, 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 right. What force trauma? But again. This is one of the oldest story types going. And our job as screenwriters, trying to sell the next version of it, is to come up with the new twist. We've seen a lot of these movies before, and there's always room for a clip that came out this summer. This is just one more out of the bottle. It's a, it's a, um, a magic thing. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, you get, um, you know, uh, the mask. Uh, love potion number nine, you know, potions, things that change things. Um, there's also magic beings that come into your life, like in Cocoon, like in Herbie. Um, this is a, uh, an angel sent to help a person and uh, assist them in trying to change their life. So, um, the, under, the overriding thing is, is there magic involved? Is there some spell? Yeah. Has a, 
I think it's out of the bottle, and, and I think it's because there's magic involved. There is, there's some magic. It's unexplained, but there, there is magic. And, and um, exactly right. And 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 that is one. That's one way to find out if if your movie matches these categories. Um, you know, the need to show that you don't need the magic to win, or you've learned your lesson. Because that's what it's all about. What is the moral of your story? What's the moral of your story? You know, most of these in out of the bottle category is life is good as it is. These are existential homing pigeons who come back to roost changed by the end of most of these movies. Life is good. That's what the lesson is. And I need to do it without magic. So, um, that's the moral of the story for all these films. Um, and it's a pretty good one. Again, it reinforces something we already kind of know. And odds are we won't, we won't be able to fly. <laughs> so it's sort of good to know that if we did, we'd have to lose it anyway. <laughs> um, due to the problem, I love this category. Uh, my friend, Mike Cheetah, uh, who I mentioned in the book, we were sitting around trying to figure out what to call a type of movie where... Um, you know, like uh, North by Northwest, The Wrong Man, uh, you know, things where there's, a, there's an innocent guy in over his head set. And we came up with the title Dude with a Problem. <laughs> dude, the dude kind of signifies that, that the, the hero of these, of these movies are, you know, kind of knuckleheads. You know, Jimmy Stewart in, uh, uh, what's the name of that movie? No, uh, one word. No, where he's in the foreign country. Uh, Man too much, right. Just dippy-doodling along in Iraq, <laughs> on vacation, minding his own business. <laughs> An international plot wrapped into his lap. That's kind of the classic dude with a problem scenario. And again, lots of them. You know, Three Days of the Condor is a, a, a spy dude with a problem. It's the same movie that is born supremacy, born identity. You know, the hero did not ask for this dilemma. Suddenly, it is thrust upon and marathon. And, and uh, from from that, it's, it's kind of the opposite of a monster and house. The hero is an innocent. And in these movies too, here's another thing that's sort of a repeating theme of the movie the problem, and that's called the eye of the storm moment. Eye of the storm in Three Days of the Condor is. Uh, uh, you know, Robert Redford's whole unit has been wiped out. He's on the run. He's phoning the CIA. He doesn't know who to trust. Grabs Faye Dunham. And he actually says to her at some point, I forget what it's called, but it's like, I just need some nice, quiet time to think. That's what he tells her. He kidnaps her. And, and she's the eye of the storm moment. She's the eye of the storm character. We'll see this a lot. Die Hard. Original Ben Johnson is, is uh, Bruce Willis's Eye of the Storm moment. Even in a movie like uh, like Open Water, where just two people out in the middle of the ocean about certainly being circled by sharks, right there in the kind of fun and game section, and that's when usually when the uh, Eye of the Storm character appears. The Eye of the Storm moment is them floating in the water going, joking about the Discovery Channel, joking about, what, you know, what, what are we supposed to do about sharks? What are we supposed to do about that? Um, da, dum, da, dum, laughing, thinking about movies, thinking about TV shows. 
That's their momentary escape from this horrible situation. It's definitely the eye of the storm. And, and, and these movies have those. So if you have a dude with a problem movie, figure out who your eye of the storm character is. In, in um, North by Northwest, it's even Marie Saint. Harry Grant's on the run, meets her on the train, come on into my compartment. Great. This is not so bad. This is a nice... And again, a practical screenwriting reason for this. Just like the uh, half-man in the Monster in the House films. We need a break. We need a break from the action. It's a moment to kind of stop, reflect, you know, stop for Stop talking about what's going on. Usually it's the B story. Usually it's um, page 30. You know, he's on the run. There's no doubt about it. They're chasing him. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's got to find out what it is. Even Marie Singh. <laughs> and, and you see it a lot. You see it a lot. You know, um, so, again, these are, these are all uh, you know, very primal stories. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a dude. You can have a dudette as well. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy is a good example. Julia Roberts. She's got this abusive marriage. She runs. She takes her debts. She's on the road. Do that with a problem. Um, Ashley Judd in Double Jeopardy, kind of a, a version of the fugitive, female version of the fugitive. Um, and you'll see a lot of these movies. Firewall just came out with Harrison Ford last year. Um, there's tons of them. Would you say that every Bond film that you were to see from the point of view of the Bond is, is that character of the story? Bond is superhero. Bond doesn't change. I mean, but the people in that are always in some shit situation. But if you were to tell it from their point of view, they well, um, there's the Bond character is their eyes. But I mean, it depends. It depends on how you get into it. It really does. Um, for for um, you know, uh, the main elements here are that the, the hero is an innocent. That there is some sort of survival that is that we depend on this, and. Um, you can cross any boundary. Um, open water is a great example of a survival dude with a problem. Poseidon, uh, alive. Uh, any kind of movie where there's a, a, a dread <coughs> Lorenzo's oil, or what was that one with uh, Michael Keaton and dying? Um, that's definitely yeah, my life. Perfect. Yeah, dude with a problem. Clearly, did not ask for this. Goes to the doctor, gets bad news. Suddenly he's in over his head. This is like, and again, really interesting antecedents in, in storytelling. All the Jack London tales are pretty much dude with a problem. You're out in the middle of, the, of the, you know, Alaska, and now what? <laughs> Joe, in the Bible, you know, the granddaddy dude with the granddaddy problem of all time did not ask for this. You know, what are you going to do? And again, it, it just speaks to why we tell these stories. The moral of the story is you're tougher than you think. That is the moral of the story. We, we have more intestinal fortitude than we thought we had. Isn't that something we want to hear? Yes. Rites of passage is really easy. When a friend or loved one tells us that they are going through something, we innately understand. Our friend is face first against the hard pavement of life. Um, adolescence, midlife crisis, divorce, separation, death, overcoming a death of someone. 
These are rites of passage moments in life that we really understand. And the basic building block of all these stories is acceptance. This is about acceptance. Life happens. And the thing that changes is the hero's perception that he's got to change with life goes. Acceptance of the problem is what the solution is in all rites of passage stories. And it always comes from the inside. A great example is Napoleon Dynamite, one of my favorite rites of passage movies. This is an adolescent passage. Antecedents in Breakfast Club and uh, you know, Porky and American Pie. But Napoleon has a unique problem. His grandmother goes away for the week. He's left with the babysitter, Uncle Rico. And his life's transformed through friendship. But things go south for Napoleon, despite the fact that he's trying his hardest. So he's not getting help from the outside. What does he do? Goes and gets that dance tape, goes into his room, shuts the door, and starts doing it for himself. He works on his inside. That's how he gets over this. So by the time that he actually gets to manifest his inner life on stage in front of everybody at the end of that movie, he's made the passage. He's dug down deep and found that it's inside him, not outside. Same with, you know, Tim, Dudley Moore. Same story. Dudley's going through a midlife crisis. Doesn't want Julia Andrews, Julie Andrews. That's his girlfriend. Wants Bo Derek. It's crazy. He chases her to Mexico. <laughs> he almost makes love with her, to Valero. There, he, there she is. And he says no. Why? Well, Derek's not going to fix him. He realizes that. That's what midlife crisis is. He's been watching across the canyon throughout this entire movie, a guy just like him going through midlife crisis, having these orgies every day. Not getting fixed, not getting help. So by the time he gets back, he realizes that it's an inside job. That's what fixes it. And, and all of these movies are the same. Ordinary people. What, what's the great scene in Ordinary People? It makes me cry every time I see it. Sob like a sorority girl every time I see it. Tim Hutton going in and confessing his sin to Judd to Hirsch. I lived. I survived. Breaks me up. He realizes he had to dig down deep and say, the problem is not my family, the problem is not my mother, the problem is not my brother, the problem is me. I have to it. Just kill me every time I think about it. Because all these stories are the same. You'll see a lot of movies that are like um, alcohol and drug abuse stories. Um, same thing. Sandra Bullock does not know her problem is Sandra Bullock in 28 Days. She has to go to rehab and discover that she's a drunk. And she has all kinds of problems associated with that. There's a middle part of most of these movies which is called trying it the wrong way. <laughs> but, you know, um, chasing Bo Derek is the wrong way in 28 Days with uh, Santa Bullock. She chases a guy, Viggo Mortensen, thinking that will fix her. Guess what? Won't help. <laughs> but trying it the wrong way is a big part of what the middle of most of these movies. Why? Because it's so human. Avoiding pain is what we do. But it's, the lesson of these movies is embrace pain and, and accept life as uh, Buddy Love, this is easy. Most stories, all stories, are about 
the most important thing that ever happened to the hero of the movie. And in a buddy love movie, the most important thing that ever happened to the hero was someone else. Okay? These are love stories, but, but really what they are is, is completion stories. I'm a lesser person without you than I am with you. And, and it crosses every conceivable line. You have a lot of uh, boy and his dog stories. Black Stallion, Air Bud, anything with somebody who finds a pet and makes them part of their life. Black Stallion is a really beautiful movie. And it's about a boy and his horse. Uh, this boy is sort of kind of fatherless, quite accents his dad at the beginning of the movie, sort of a rogue. So when the ship goes down and the boy and the, the horse are sort of stranded on the beach, he has a, builds a whole new relationship. Um, the ending of that movie is heartbreaking because he does what most humans do. He becomes starts kind of greedy. He has this powerful, wonderful horse who decides to race him to be the rider. And you know, the, the ending of that movie is there's the boy. They're loaded into this starting gate. There's two other horses. They're about to take off. The boys manage to talk his mom into letting him ride the horse. Looks down. And we're thinking, well. Okay, he's going to win the race now. Of course, his leg is bleeding, just as the starting gate sounds. So the boy is wondering, and we are wondering, you know, is, is our human greed overwhelming our love for something beautiful? Are we going to kill it? Are we going to kill it just by being us? It's a great little dynamic. So when they actually manage to win that race, it's not really about winning the race. It's about the beauty of their relationship. Um, and you see that a lot. The completion of one person with another person or thing or him makes anybody else. And of course, there's other great ones. Um, you know, uh, Brokeback Mountain is about um, forbidden love. Um, Wedding Crashers is about two couples getting together. Um, you'll see um, also epic love, Titanic, Gone with the Wind. That against the backdrop of something huge is the story of two people. You know, and I I always have trouble with those because it's like <laughs> love schmuck, get on the boat, it's cold. <laughs> you know? It's you're gonna freeze out there in the ocean. But of course they love each other. <laughs> but that's what makes these so these these movies epic. That's what makes it so great, is they're they're acting out of something that's a higher calling. And love stories, yeah, forever. We understand love stories. But don't get confused. Love stories are really about completion. They're really about... And there's always that moment in, in, in the All of Lost Point, the page 75, of, you know, I've lost this person, or given them up, or, um, you know what, to hell with you. I'm going to go off on my own. I don't need you. And it's not until the, the break of the three that they realize that they really have to have each other. So all, all the buddy love stories are the same. There's always that breakup somehow at page 75. Um, why Done It? This is the chapter I'm writing right now. It's really great. Uh, why Done It is most mystery stories, but there's more to it than that. Um, when you think of any Why Done It, you think of, you know, the dingy office, the detective, the frosted glass. There's a woman coming into the, into the office. And we know for a fact that Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe is going to throw 
Faye or Laura over the side because he knew he should have gotten involved with her. Well, that's the basic component of most of identity. There's something about the detective that turns to the dark side in the, in the course of uh, chasing after the secret. One of the great identities, all the presidents of men, there's a great line in that movie where they're pres pressuring this fellow reporter to get them the list for Nixon's man. They have to get this, this list. They're pressuring her. Press they want her to sleep with this guy. Go back and sleep with this guy to get the list. And she turns to them, and Carl Bernstein and, and Bob Woodward, Dustin Hoffman and, and Robert Redford, she turns to them and said, I guess I just don't have the taste for the juggler you guys have. Well, these are guys who just wanted to be good reporters, and now they've become kind of you know, so bent on getting this story that they become dark. There's a dark turn in a lot of why um, that Right. Right. And that is what it's about. Um, a, a good Waidana is like a trip inside the smaller and smaller rooms of a novel's shell. It gets darker, more claustrophobic, more scary, each little room we go into. And ultimately, at the end of that little room, the last little room, is you. That's what's so scary about it. There is no mystery. There is only revelation. There is only you know, discovering that you are you are evil too. And, and that's what these detectives discover in by proxy for us. Um, usually the detective in a, in a wide it doesn't change much. Jake Giddis is kind of the same guy at the beginning of Chinatown at the end of the end. He may talk about this case as the big one, the one that got away. On his deathbed, it's the one that think of his greatest case. But I don't think it's changed much. He knew what he was getting into. He just couldn't stop. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? Um, so that's that's what wide it is about. And, and, uh, there's a great one that I'm doing too called uh, Brick. Has anybody seen Brick? Good movie. Catchy, catchy verbiage. I like the verbiage. Yeah. Because it's so colloquial and it's so sort of uh, slangy and their own slang. Yeah. 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 Brick is um, a high school uh, murder mystery, basically, and it's a film noir. But it's, it's funny because you have a high school student who sort of takes the place of a Philip Marlowe or Sp Sam Spade character. And there's the and actress with the yeah, dressing room yeah. in the mirror in school play. It's yeah. great. All the, all the high school characters yeah. kind of become characters in a, in a noir. Uh, yeah. There's a, 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 a principal in that movie who sort of plays the tough DA guy. It's like, I'm going to pull your badge, you know, that old stuff. Except <laughs> as a student, he's like the, you know, the truant officer. But it's, it's very funny. It's very funny. And it just shows, you know, you mean the same thing, only different. Give me a new way to tell the story. They just took Philip Marlowe, they put him in high school. And, and uh, it's a really good little story, actually. Really tight little movie. Um, okay, Fool Triumphant. This again is um, uh, a classic story. We've heard this a lot. Um, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Fred Lloyd, these are the fools, um, and we are rooting for them. Um, these are sort of underdogs that we are always um, overlooking. And the uh, operating principle of most fool triumphants is you find a world and you put the fool up against it. Uh, in Dave, uh, it's about the world of politics and the White House and being, this is the guy who poses as being the president, Kevin Klein. Uh, the jerk, this is about the world of business and, and um, success. 
Dale Carnegie to the max. Um, and and uh, Steve Martin, who's sort of a, a funny version of Dale Carnegie. Um, being there, same thing, world of politics, Amadeus, world of, of music. Um, and into this world comes this guy that we completely overlook. I mentioned last week that, you know, it is sort of the, uh, the guilt factor is what the story teaches about. Don't overlook that guy. That bum on the street, they actually have amazing power, and they actually have amazing things you can do. And that's sort of what these, these stories teach. Um, don't overlook Forrest Gump. He's not an idiot we think he is. Um, and Forrest Gump is a good example because it's um, the thing that he's uh, making fun of is our culture, our history, our, our the world as we know it for the last 30 years. And he just, just he's sort of like a zealot character. He sort of appears in every <laughs> possible situation, breezes through it, succeeds, and moves on. No big deal. Um, that's classic cool uh, triumph. A lot, a lot of these stories too is you'll, you'll have fish out of water stories. Um, you know, legally blonde is a cool triumph. She does not belong to Harvard Law. But she gets there and she shows them. And it's by using her own sort of pluck that she um, triumphs. So you take a fool who has his own set of values and, and, and skills and you set them in a, another world. So, uh, institutionalized. This is about groups. And again, it's a very primal kind of topic. Who's crazier, me or them? <laughs> the, the other cavemen want to go and and uh, and hunt woolly mammoths, uh, and and you know they chase them over the cliff and they all fall in and die. But that's what they've always done. <laughs> and I want to be a good member of the group. Should I go? That's what these movies are about: <laughs> sacrificing your individuality for the good of the group. And uh, I mentioned uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and American Beauty and Godfather, number two especially. The last scene in all the three of those movies is the same shot. A God.